Welcome to today's Baseball America College podcast. It is May 7th. I am Teddy Cahill and joined joining me as always is Joe Healy. We are here and it is our second podcast of the week, which means it is time to discuss a classic college baseball game that we watched on YouTube and maybe you did as well, or maybe you'll go watch it on YouTube after we talk about it. But the point is today on the podcast, we are here to talk about a super regional game from 2018 between Florida and Auburn, game three specifically. Uh, it's a, it's an exciting game. It's also a pretty quick watch on YouTube. It's uh, less than three hours, uh, no commercials with extra innings. So it's, uh, it's a nice, concise package. And uh, I, I personally find it to be uh, one of the more enjoyable games that, that we've watched uh, throughout this, this process. There's just a lot that goes on. And maybe some of the recency kind of is cool to me as well, just because there are players in it that are still playing in college baseball and very highly relevant players uh, today. But it is also long enough ago that it's still a little bit of a trip down memory lane. So I don't know. It ticks a bunch of boxes for me. Uh, hopefully it will for you as, as we get into it. But before we get into that game, we will later be joined by uh, Florida outfielder Austin Laneworthy. Uh, before we get to that, though, Joe, uh, we are we are getting into May here. I guess there's a chance this weekend that it might snow in the Northeast as the polar vortex comes back for a, a late appearance, but we're not quite there yet. Uh, how are you doing uh, if if we do get to to some polar weather in uh, <laughs> in this weird May weekend? Yeah, strange one. Low of like 37 here in Durham uh, later. I think Saturday that low is something like 37 so we, we are not we now we will not get the snow hopefully um I suppose if it drops too much lower than that there's really no moisture in the air so i probably not any risk there but but certainly unseasonably cold here as well um it would certainly if i was still living in the midwest that, that would be the type of thing that would infuriate me even in a re in regular times that would infuriate me but certainly given the current situation where getting outside and, and kind of just breathing some fresh air and going for walks and, and exercising in the way that you can is, is one of our only outlets these days. That would be, that would be awful. Although it, it, it might dovetail nicely with one of my current pursuits and, and Teddy, you'll appreciate this and you'll understand why here momentarily, but I am, um, I've recently started an attempt to acquire uh, college hoops, 2k eight uh, for either PS3 or Xbox 360. Um, but I would also have to acquire the console to play it because I don't have either of those consoles. I used to have a PS3, um, but I don't have either of those consoles. So I need to buy the console. I'd also need to buy the game. I found out. Now, there's also the NCAA basketball games from, uh, this is where it ties into Teddy. I know he's still got a hold of one of these, but I think 10 was the last year NCAA basketball, the EA Sports game was made. And that is still out there, but the 2K8 gameplay I always thought was a little bit better, and so I'm willing to go back to 2K8 to do that. I have found, however, that if you want to buy one of these games, and I'm sure this has been exacerbated by everyone being inside and, and trying to, to find ways to, to pass time, uh, you're spending like a hundred some odd dollars on this game, and that's before you get a hold of the console. And so I am super jealous of people who I know and who I follow who are going through um, uh, uh, career modes, in these NCAA, you know, basketball or football games. And the basketball one I just haven't played in a while. Like I've played NCAA football in the relatively recent past, just holding on to old versions of games, but I haven't played NCAA basketball in years now. 
And so that one I'm kind of jonesing for a little bit, but then I had a thought of like, am I really going to drop several hundred dollars to get this done? And the answer I guess ultimately was no, but I am still scouring eBay and some other places like that to see if I ever catch one at a little bit lower price point. And we'll have to see what comes of that. But, but I know you Teddy are someone who has, is still currently question mark involved in a long-term dynasty mode on NCAA basketball. So I, I thought you'd appreciate that pursuit and that I'm, 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 I'm struggling so far, but I'm not going to give up on it. Yeah, absolutely. So I have nine, uh, whatever here it is. It has Kevin Love on the cover. Um, and yeah, it's one of the last years they made it because they quit making basketball before they quit making football. I'm not entirely sure why I much prefer the basketball version, but I guess I just prefer the basketball games to football. Anyway, there's like football's so involved and yeah. Anyway, so I have nine. Um, I haven't played it recently. I don't, I generally go through like phases with, uh, with video games and one of the bad things about it in terms of trying to get really deep in a, uh, a career is just, I mean, you can get really good really fast. And then if you're not at a like elite program, taking that team from a really, really good, like, you know, top 10, top five type team to actually winning a tournament is a little tricky. Uh, there's some wonkiness just in terms of like recruiting. I feel like, um, anyway, it's a good game. I bought it a long time ago. So like, I definitely didn't pay that much for it. And honestly, like I bought it partially because it was pretty cheap. Like I didn't buy the current year on purpose. I bought it cause it was like, I got it for like 15 bucks. I would guess at most seven, maybe. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I've definitely played it over the last decade, a fair amount. Uh, currently I've been playing with army. Uh, that was, that's the most recent dynasty, but it's, uh, it's fantastic. And, you know, I, the, this actually relates to current news and while we generally try and keep this podcast less newsy than our first podcast of the week, uh, which typically drops on Tuesday, you can check that out, uh, on, Anywhere you're getting your podcast, be that Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify. Um, this week we we had Pete Hughes on, but the NCAA has come out with you know they're they're continuing to work through some name, image, and likeness rights um, type decisions, and and they're trying to make it so that come up with a, a some sort of package for athletes to be able to be paid for those while maintaining their NCAA eligibility, which currently is not allowed. And that is why the video games went away. Ultimately was that the NCAA got sued over this. And, you know, so EA sports had to stop making the the video games. And as they're working through this, you know, I don't want to dive too deep into it partially because again, we're trying to make this a little lighter and also Joe and I are not lawyers. Um, and haven't spent a ton of time like pouring over this stuff because it's still early in the draft stage and it involves a lot of congressional help that may or may not actually be coming. There's some argument um, in Congress about whether the NCAA's proposal goes anywhere close to far enough. Uh, but the main thing that I, I, I bring this up for is that the way the NCAA has crafted this right now 
it will not bring the video game back, which is what most people want because, uh, or the way this affects the, the broader public, if you just go on to, to Twitter when they're talking about this, the, what, what they're looking for is, you know, what people are, fans are looking for is their video game again. And the way that they're doing this, it won't, it doesn't allow group licensing, which is required for the video game. Either that or EA Sports is going to have to go to every single college football or basketball player in the country and say, sign this document so that we can do this. So that's something that's in the news that we'll try and keep abreast of and, and go in deeper on as, as they get closer to things. Uh, of course, there was a baseball game as well. Very short lived. I never played it. Joe, did, did you play the baseball video game? Yeah, I had both versions. They did two years, 06, 07. Uh, I loved 06, mostly just because it was it was the first time they'd done it and the rosters were, were, were real, um, which of course ends up being the problem. You know, that's why it was ultimately discontinued, but the rosters were, were real. My gripe of course, was that they didn't do every conference. Uh, the, the scheduling was, was wonky. I mean, they, they didn't have the college baseball scheduling down. They didn't do the midweek weekend structure. It was like, you'd have back-to-back games like Monday, Tuesday, and then back-to-back games on like Thursday, Friday, or Friday, Saturday or something. It was just, little things that if they had, you know, done a little bit of consulting with, with college coaches or anybody around college baseball, they probably could have fixed. Maybe there were other reasons. I don't, I don't know, but those are my, my tiny, but ultimately I was really just thankful to have it. You know, there, there were some real stadiums in there. I seem to remember there being maybe a dozen or so real stadiums. That was kind of nice. And um, the NCAA tournament structure was the same. So that was, that was kind of nice. The, uh, the second year though, it was really just a reboot of, the first version, and there really wasn't anything. I, I'm sure I'm remembering, misremembering small details about things that were different in 07, but I, largely 07 was just the same game as 06. But rather than update the rosters, they just took the existing players in 06 and just mixed them up. So you were getting this, it was the same players, but they just put them all on different teams kind of randomly instead of updating the roster. So 07 kind of felt like a lazy version of 06 where they tried to make it a new game by, by jumbling rosters a little bit. And again, maybe they added a stadium or two. I don't, I don't really remember. Um, so I was a little bit disappointed with 07 and it kind of ended up being a, uh, you know, a harbinger of things to come where they ended up, you know, discontinuing the game after 07. And of course it wouldn't have gone on much longer regardless because of, you know, all the college games were discontinued. So um, I, but I enjoyed it in the moment, and I know there's some creative uh, shouts to East Carolina, who is doing like a, um, you know, Corey Glore, their their play-by-play guy, is doing videos, uh, you know, of him doing play-by-play highlight packages of, you know, East Carolina games on the NCAA video game, which is kind of a cool, cool little deal just to see that gameplay again. So there's some there's some folks who are bringing that game back out. But but to be honest, I, my interest in playing it, if I had it, I would play it a little bit. But it's just baseball video games have come so far. I mean, MLB The Show is so good in terms of the gameplay now, in my opinion, anyway. I'm not a connoisseur, but uh, video game play, video game baseball gameplay has come so far in such a relatively short amount of time that the lack of, of modern gameplay, I think, might almost be too distracting for me to go back and play the, the college games. So I don't know if my interest level will be, be there to do that, but maybe, I don't know. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's one thing to go back and be playing RBI. Uh, or any of the really, really old ones, but that one's probably a little too close to home. Now, I say that as someone that, like, actually just period doesn't play baseball video games. 
unless we're talking about like backyard baseball. Um, I, it's, I just haven't figured out how to do it in a way that I feel okay about, you know, I don't want to sim too many games in general, and, but it's 162 game season. So you have to, or you have to play shorter games or blah, blah, blah. Bottom line, I don't really mess with, uh, with baseball video games. And um, so, yeah, the, the existence of a, of a college video game, be it baseball, football, or, or basketball does seem to be a little bit of a pipe dream, although they are, they are working towards it and or toward they're taking some steps that might get them towards it. So maybe we'll, uh, we'll be able to look forward to, to that soon, but it does feel like at least the way the NCAA has initially crafted its name image and likeness uh, suggestions to that, that then each division has to come up with their own rules for um, initially, it does not seem like that's, that's a thing that, that you should be looking for. But at the same time, there's a long way to go. And I, you know, that that's definitely an easy moneymaker for a lot of different entities. And, you know, may, maybe at some point that starts to talk a little louder and the, the video games that everyone desperately wants will, uh, will come back. But until then, um, like I said, we'll we'll uh, we'll be monitoring that as news progresses. We'll look at it as it comes. But right now, it, it just feels like it's so far off in the drafts that uh, that there's there's there are going to be a lot of changes, and, and so we'll we'll keep uh, we'll keep looking at that. I, I I think that for baseball, just the most significant thing is that kids are going to be able to be paid for. Um, social media posts and for the, they, they'll have the ability to give baseball lessons. And th those two things are going to affect the most people in college baseball. Uh, others, you know, may be able to get ads or revenue in some other way. Uh, but for the most part, I think in baseball, it's going to be about uh, if you have a large social media following, probably that has very little to do with what you've done on the baseball field. Uh, although in some cases it certainly will be that uh, you you can go off and be an influencer and everyone can go and and give lessons and get paid for them, which frankly it's kind of crazy that that you can't do right now. But those are the rules. So we'll we'll dive deeper into that uh, down the road. But today we want to talk about this 2018 Super Regional Game Three between Florida and Auburn. Um, like I said. I thought this was an outstanding game when we when I went back and rewatched it this week. Uh, last week, Joe said we probably both didn't need to rewatch it; that we both remembered enough about the game. And yeah, that that in in rewatching that that's a, a fair amount of truth to that. I know I was watching it from a hotel room in Austin. I had you know been covering super regionals Texas between Texas and Tennessee Tech uh, that weekend. They played a day game in Austin. So I was back like working on things in my hotel room with this game on. And, uh, you know, I, I just remember like kind of having to, to set a lot. Of, I, I, it's not like I was doing a ton by the end of this game because it's, it's a night game. Uh, but I at some point just had to set everything aside and, you know, finish watching this game because it was it was very engrossing then just, just as it was now. Uh, Joe, where where did you watch this game initially from? 
I was uh, laying down to go to sleep, actually, because I, I wasn't covering college baseball full-time yet. I had a full-time office job, and I had – I remember specifically that the next morning I had an early meeting, and so it wasn't really one of those days where I could stay up super late and then kind of just drag my way into the office – you know, and kind of let, you know, let a couple hours go by while I shake the cobwebs out. Like I had to kind of be on early in the morning. So I remember thinking late as this game was starting to stretch later and later as extra inning games can go, especially in the postseason when it just kind of seems like, you know, the, the, you know, the hitters start to get a little bit tight and a little bit anxious and they're trying to do too much. And sometimes these extra inning games can really go long just because of that. So I was a little bit worried this one was going to go longer than I was going to be able to stay with it. And as we kind of got into the 11th inning, I was like, I probably have, you know, the 12th maybe if, if, if this game keeps going. And of course it didn't. Um, and at the time I was, uh, so my, my significant other was asleep. And so I was having to do this in silence. Like I was watching the game. I can't remember, I, I, what I don't remember is if I had headphones in or if I was just literally watching it muted on my phone. It was on my phone. I was watching it. And um, so I don't remember that detail, but I do remember having to like work to not say something when I saw this, you know, the end of this game, it was just such a, a surprise ending in a way. Cause it happens so suddenly in the, in the bottom of the 11th inning. Um, so that was, those are my memories of, it. and then, you know, very quickly turning my phone off and being like, Oh, thank goodness. I got to see the end of that. Now I gotta, I gotta go to sleep. So I didn't really have time to, digest the reaction to it on Twitter or anything like that. I'm sure everyone around college baseball was, was reacting pretty strongly to it, but I didn't really get a chance to digest any of that until the next morning. Cause like I said, I, I had to be up pretty early. So I saw it and then that was all she wrote for me that night. Yeah. It's uh, it's a very different, like we had two extra inning games here back to back in terms of you know, weeks. Last week we, we had South Carolina and Virginia at the college world series. And in that extra inning game, like there are scoring chances a lot late in the game. And in the, the, the final run that South Carolina pushes across to win, like, you know, you can see it coming throughout the inning. It, it's not a sudden thing. This was very sudden. There, both pitchers had done a good job limiting chances. Florida does have a chance a little, like maybe two innings before, I think, that goes by the wayside. But you know, both both pitchers have done a good job at, at, at limiting the the, the chances. Uh, it's a, a very tightly played game. There are no errors or or anything that um, you know we saw in the South Carolina Virginia game. And then all of a sudden, to lead off the eleventh inning, Austin Laneworthy steps in and hits a home run that is it, it ricochets off of uh, Auburn right fielder Stephen Williams' glove as it goes over the fence and. It's not like he tips it over. That ball's going out. It's just that he had a chance to make a play, and he didn't make the play. Um, so it's a crazy ending. That game, the, the home run sends Florida to Omaha. Florida, the reigning national champions, go to Omaha on that. And uh, it was it, – it, it's really one of the, the best endings that, that I've seen of a college baseball game. Um, just in terms of memorable uh, moments uh, that you're not going to see a whole lot uh, bigger than that. You know, the, the chance to get to Omaha, one swing of the bat and, and the, the dramatic ending, the walk off nature of it all. Like it's uh, 
there, there's a lot going on there. And so it's, um, it comes out of nowhere and it, you know, it's just a, a, a really cool moment. And so uh, we are really excited to be able to talk about that moment and the game overall with Florida outfielder Austin Laneworthy, the man himself who, uh, who sent the Gators to Omaha uh, that night in June 2018. Today on the Baseball America College podcast, we're excited to be joined by Florida outfielder Austin Laneworthy. Austin, it's, uh, it's a weird spring. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. You know, I mean, just settling in with all this uh, different different environment for sure. Um, getting used to everything that's in front of us and trying to figure out what to do moving forward. Absolutely, it's uh, it's it's been a tricky tricky thing. But you guys were uh, before we get back down memory lane uh, to 2018 with this game against Auburn. Just this season was going very well for the Gators. You were undefeated right up until the last game you played against Florida State. Just what what was it about this team in particular that clicked in a way that, that let you guys get off to that start? Uh, I don't know if I can point out one particular thing. Just every almost every facet of our team was in a really good position. I mean, offensively, on the mound, <clears throat> and defensively, of course. It was just all really good. I mean, I can't think of hardly any bad starts that we had from our weekend guys. And, you know, that, that I mean, that played a key role to, to the big part of us winning a lot of those games. And, of course, that's – I mean, that's how we won the national championship in 17, was starting pitching. Absolutely. Always a hallmark of that, that Florida program under uh, Kevin O'Sullivan – and now let's let's take it back to 2018, a year that was no different in terms of that starting pitching situation. Uh, you had Brady Singer, Jackson Coar, and, and Jack Leftwich and Tommy Mace, the two guys uh, you know that that were the horses this year were freshmen at the time. And Jack actually starts uh, this third game in the Super Regional. Jonathan India is the SEC Player of the Year. It was a obviously a very loaded Florida team again, and that's why the Gators were the number one overall seed. You're also coming off of a national championship. So just to set the stage uh, for the, the game three, you guys had split the first two games in that super. Uh, what was the feeling going into the third game on that Monday night? We were, we were confident. Um, you know, I think we felt like we were in a good position. We felt really good having Jack out there on the mound. And, you know, of course the, the game too was a heartbreaker. I think it was, I don't know if it was extra innings or the bottom of the ninth, but they hit a walk off off of Michael Byrne, which never happened. You know, I mean, he was obviously one of the best closers in college baseball throughout his career. And, you know, we like, okay, that happened once. It's not going to happen again. So we, we were very confident going into that game. I'm curious how, you know, you guys were looking to go to Omaha for a fourth straight time during this Super Regional. And to me, that seems as hard as that is to do just on the field. I imagine that's a mental challenge as well to, to not just kind of be satisfied with, oh, we went last year, we won a national title, you know, and, and let that kind of standard relax a little bit. How does a program stay sharp in the way that, that Florida did during these years to be able to get to Omaha year after year after year? I think it is just the point of getting to Omaha. Being in Omaha is one of the 
if not the greatest baseball experience that a college baseball player can have, of course, uh, or any baseball player for that matter. So you just you, – you don't take that for granted. And, you know, it's so much fun to play there and to be in those high-pressure situations with 25 or 30,000 people. So that kind of keeps you sharp and makes you want to play really well. So you guys come out there and, you know, game one or game three starts uh, pretty quickly for the Gators. Jonathan India, um, you know, hits that, that home run kind of uh, right away in the first inning. Just how big is that from a, a confidence standpoint and, and everything else just to, to get you guys going that day? Oh, that, I'd say it definitely gives you a lot of confidence that you're going to win the game when, when you go up early like that. And I forget who they started. They started a lefty, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. It was uh, Andrew Mitchell, I believe. Mitchell, yeah. Yeah, and he was pretty good. He was a pretty good arm. And, you know, that just gives us some confidence that that we can pound out some runs and <laughs> get it, go out on top. Now, that year, you guys were also doing a tradition uh, in the dugout where you guys would throw a water balloon at, at your, one of your managers at, after you hit a home run. Can you just kind of explain what, what happened there and, and how, how that came to be? It was, it's actually our athletic trainers, one of his assistants. Um, and so, like, I, I remember in, like, 17 and 18 – they would do some crazy stuff. They'd eat some crazy food before the games or something, and they'd do that on a regular basis. And then it, I remember in 17, it would, you would take a, an, a water, a bucket of water, and dump it on them. And then in 18, it turned into the water balloons. So it just kind of <laughs> escalated. There was, I don't know if, what the meaning behind it was, just something fun that we did. One of the things that, that I really enjoyed about watching this game is how you guys are – you know, it was a low-scoring game, obviously, but you score your runs in all kinds of ways. You got a couple home runs, but then in the middle innings, you have this wild steal of home with Reese at third base and Horvath at first, where Horvath takes off for second, falls down to distract Andrew Mitchell. He gets kind of, you know, Mitchell gets distracted by that, and then Reese ends up stealing home. Yeah. How much were you guys practicing that play throughout the year? And as that play was called, did the dugout know that play was on, or was it a surprise to you as well? Uh, I don't really particularly remember if I was paying attention to the signs I would have known, but I, I don't know. Um, I'm sure they, they tried to keep it on the down low, I imagine. Um, but as far as practicing that, we do it pretty regularly, I'd say. And I mean, we call it the fall down play. And it, of course it happens maybe once or twice a year <laughs> and fortunate enough for us it worked out so if you didn't know that that play was on to start with at what point did you realize that that's what was going on was it when Nick falls over or like when they they start both running like when when did you realize what was going on and, and that it was actually going to work this time I, I'd say when Horvey falls down definitely when he falls down you're kind of like oh no here we go <laughs> There's, a, there's obviously a little bit of risk with that play. Was there ever a, was there a point during your career when you guys ran that play where it just was disastrous and really did not work out? 
not honestly that's the only time that i really remember it i don't know if we've done it any other time in my career being here i can i mean i can think of one time when it was last year and we were doing like uh we were playing the usa team the 18u team and i i ended up doing it and that's i mean those are the two times that i only remember doing it i almost wonder at this point if you could even run it anymore Sully just has to retire that one since he used it and the entire country saw it happen that, you know, if that's something that just is going to be on the scouting reports for a little bit. Yeah. I, I don't know though. I mean, with, with the left-handed pitcher, you know, you see a guy fall down and you're looking that way, you're going to automatically try and go over there. <laughs> and if there's that little bit of hesitation, which is what you're looking for, especially with a guy who can run a little bit on third, he's going to be safe. No, that's that's definitely fair. Yeah, so on the mound for you guys is is Jack Leftwich. And you know, he's a freshman at the time, but you know, he came in and, and was very good from the start. Just what what do you see from him uh in terms of, of that day that, that's making him so good or, or or when you watch him in general, if you don't remember as much about what Jack was dealing that day, when when you have to face him in, in an inner squad, what is it about Jack Leftwich that that makes him so good? Uh, for the most part, everything's not straight, typically. You know, when he's when he's glove side, he cuts it a little bit. When he's arm side, it runs a little bit. And, you know, over the past couple of years, especially, his, his slider's developed and become a better pitch for him. And, of course, the changeup has always been really good whenever he's thrown it for a strike, at least. <laughs> You mentioned Michael Byrne earlier, and, you know, he comes in this game and, and really kind of dominates and kind of changes the tone of the game a little bit, especially in his first couple of innings. You know, with that guy, I mean, how, how special was he when he was really on in this specific instance? How confident did that make you guys that you guys were going to have time to go ahead and, and, and get a run at some point pitching the way he was? We felt like whenever Michael Byrne was in the game, the game was over. It was done. He, he was just so good. I mean, I can only think – that's the only time that I can remember him the day before is giving up a giving up a save, blowing a save. I mean, there may have been a couple other times, but that's the only one I really remember. He was just dominant. And I think the biggest part of that was he could throw whatever he wanted whenever he wanted with command. I have to imagine he comes in that game. You, that's a good point. You mentioned that, you know, he had struggled in the previous game and, and, you know, blew a save in a way that he doesn't normally. I mean, that had to be a big pick-me-up for him personally and for you in the, in the entire team that he comes in and immediately starts striking guys out. You had to kind of have a feeling like, oh, okay, yeah, he's, he's back. He's good now. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we ever lost that feeling, you know. Everybody, everybody has their bad days, and they're few and far between for him especially. So he, we were confident. As, uh, as that game then, you know, continues tied into extra innings, um, is there, was there any sense of, of tightness or, or what, what was the feeling in the dugout as, as that thing continues tied to the very business end of the game, you know, the ninth inning and the 10th or the 11th? I, of course, it's a it's a high-pressure game. So, I mean, there's a little bit of tightness between everybody, a little bit of anxiousness, I think. You know, you just – you kind of want to do something to put your team on top. And I think 
that's that's the biggest thing in in a game like that. So obviously you come up in, you know, skipping ahead here to the, uh, you know, the big moment there, you, you, you go up against Cody Greenhill, you, who you had homered against in the previous game. Was it just a deal where you, you know, you had really good information on him? Were you just seeing the ball well off of him? Um, how confident were you going into that at bat? Uh, going into the bat, all I was trying to do is get on base, to be completely honest with you. And I think he got me in an 0-2 count, I believe. And then I think he threw a bad change up way out and then missed the fastball, threw it in, and I didn't miss it. You, uh, you certainly did not, and it goes rocketing out to right. And uh, did you know at the time it was a home run, and did you actually see it? Like, wh- when did you realize that it, it hit off of Stephen Williams' glove? Did you see that live, or was that only after the fact? No, I saw it. Uh, I hit it good. I mean, of course, I hit it flat, though. I didn't hit it real high. And I knew it had a chance. So, I mean, I was <clears throat> looking for a double right there. And it, I saw it bounce off his glove. And, you know, that's right about the point where I was getting close to first base. So you, you, you start your sprint around the bases, and I call it a sprint around the bases because it, it really was, I think, watching it back, that if you had run any faster, you might have actually taken off and started flying. Do you, do you have any sort of memories of that trip around the bases, or did you kind of just black out in that moment? I, I remember getting the first base and throwing my, throwing my arm up, and then I remember th- – and then I don't remember anything until I throw my helmet up right when I'm about to reach the team. Is that a moment that you like looking back on, like re, like rewatching, or it, it, do you try and stay away from that? Or how, is, it, is it something you, you've seen many times since, since it happened? Yeah, I mean, I've seen it quite a few times. It pops up on my social media feed every now and again. And, you know, it's something that's probably my, I mean, I would say it's my biggest baseball moment in my career. You know, definitely the biggest home run I've ever hit. So, I mean, I, I look back on that, and that's probably going to be one of the fondest memories of my baseball career when it's all said and done. The uh, the Auburn and Florida series throughout that season kind of took on uh, – you played several times, I guess, over the, the those first two years with, with Casey Mize and – facing Brady Singer, and, and that was always a big deal. What what did you – like, what made that Auburn team so good? Because anytime you guys linked up, it seemed like the, there was there was a lot of excitement and, and they were just really good games. Yeah, no, they – thinking back to 17, I was not there when they swept us at Auburn. That was when I uh, broke my hamate. So I wasn't there for that series. Uh, but – 18, you know, I, I think we beat Mize both times, if I'm not mistaken. And That's right. We had, we had a really good game plan against him. You know, everything that he threw was down angle, you know, sinking, cutting, and then, of course, his split. So we, we had a really good game plan, and if it started at your knees, just let it be, you know, take it. You know, if the umpire calls a strike, so what? You know, we tried to push him up in the zone, 
and fortunate enough for us, we were able to beat him with that game plan. So you guys go back to Omaha then in 18, and um, what, what was the difference between having been there one year, like just having been there before and going in as, uh, as the reigning champs? Uh, for me personally, there's a, a comfort factor because you've played there before and, you know, you're kind of used to playing in front of 30,000 people by that point. So that, that makes it all the more fun, actually. You know, there's way less nerves. I mean, I'm a year older. I'm not a freshman anymore. So I'm, I'm just kind of enjoying the ride. It, uh, it certainly was a fun team overall. Uh, of course, it, it ends uh, with, a, with a disappointment, I guess, in Omaha that, that you can't repeat. But uh, when, you, when you look back at that team, uh, you know, all the, all the players on it, I, I know you're not very far removed from it, but what, um, what stands out to you about that group as, as a whole? Uh, oh, it's just hard to point out one thing. I mean, of course, we had, I don't know, I can't even say – I'd say about seven or eight of those guys are going to be big leaguers, you know. Um, just from the starting pitching, of course, and the relief pitching, and then, of course, India having the crazy year that he does. Uh, Will Dalton coming in, hitting 20 home runs. Just so many things, um, you know, and then – JJ coming back for his senior year. It was pretty crazy. You know, that, that team was loaded. It was just absolutely loaded. Absolutely. Now you, uh, back, back in present day here, you, uh, your own career is kind of winding down and now you have an option to maybe come back. What, are you are have you evaluated that? Or is it still a process of evaluating that? What where are you at in terms of uh, trying to figure out where you go next? Uh, I'm still trying to figure it out, to be honest with you. You know, I I think it's you just don't really know what's gonna happen. Like I don't really know what's gonna happen with the draft, what what's gonna happen with coming back. I mean, obviously there's incentives to both. You know, if I if I come back, I get another shot at going to Omaha and get to open up in the new stadium. And then if I don't, I obviously get to start playing professional baseball, which is every every kid's dream. So I really don't know at this point. Yeah, I uh, I cannot imagine trying to make that that decision. There's just so many factors that go into it. So I. I wish you luck with it, and, and uh, hopefully things, uh, things are able to work out for you, whatever, uh, whatever path you take. But we really appreciate you uh, joining us here on, on the podcast today and, and taking, uh, taking this trip down memory lane with us. Yeah, not a problem, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you again to Austin Laneworthy for joining us here on the Baseball America College podcast. Joe, that game... Uh, was was fantastic and and to be able to talk with Austin who you know played such a dramatic role in this game I I, I thought was uh, particularly cool he um, you know it, it's uh, it, if anything it's kind of an understatement for him to say that that's going to be the highlight of his uh, his baseball career I feel like yeah 
it's hard to get much better, you know, unless, uh, you know, in his pro career, he goes on to, to play in the big leagues and, you know, hits some sort of game winning hit to get a team to a world series or to win a world series. I mean, that's going to be, that's going to be hard to beat. And, you know, you hear players time and again, say that their college years, even players that have gone on to successful big league careers really look back on their college years, perhaps most fondly for a number of reasons, some of which don't have anything to do with baseball. You know, college is just a, a formative time and a fun time for, for a lot of young people. And, and so I think that that plays into it as well. So it, certainly that's going to be going to be hard to beat no matter how well he does in his pro career. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. You mentioned earlier that, that this game was, you know, was outstanding and as, as good as you remembered it. And, and I, this game slaps, like, honestly, I mean, it's not, um, you know, you, you kind of look at some of the, the raw details of it and it's like, okay, Leftwich was pretty good and Andrew Mitchell was pretty good, but neither of them really dominated. And then, you know, Michael Byrne comes in and is like electric right at the beginning, but you know, he doesn't really end up with these huge, like eye popping strikeout numbers in his relief appearance. And then I guess you've got the home runs, but you know, outside of that, like if you just look at the box score, you might look at this game and go like, eh. but like there was just a lot going on within this game. There are a lot of like really kind of smallish details that, that I like here, including, you know, there's uh, early in this game. I mean, Will Holland has a really good defensive game. You know, he's got a, he helps turn a double play early in the game. That's really pretty impressive. He ends up, you know, uh, slight, you know, on a play up the middle, like making a diving stop to keep a ball from going into center field to do what they thought would save a run. Of course, that runner on third was Blake Reese, who then steals home. So that ends up being kind of a moot point. But, you know, if Andrew Mitchell gets out of that, you know, Will Holland might have saved the game right there with a diving play up the middle. And so it's kind of funny, Will Holland as a player, I mean, you know, he was, as a college player, a little bit up and down sometimes, but it was kind of nice to see that and realize that like, oh yeah, this guy was was really, really good and, and could do a lot of really good things on on a baseball field, that was kind of a good reminder for a player that I had certainly not forgotten about, but, but just hadn't, hadn't thought about in a while. And, and about Auburn in general, I remember looking at, at, at this team and, and saying, man, like they get to Omaha the next year, obviously, but that 18 team against a lot of other teams in supers is getting to Omaha. That team was just really, really good. And, you know, you, you mentioned on the pitching side with, with Casey Mize, but, you know, even offensively, there are some guys who are part of this team that weren't part of the next one. I mean, this team was was capable of getting to Omaha. They just happened to come up against a Florida team that was on a really, really good run of four straight Omaha trips. And as you mentioned, was really, really loaded. And so they end up kind of falling short. Um, but I think it's worth saying that, that this was an Auburn team that, you know, against any number of other teams that were in Super Regionals probably ends up in Omaha as well. And I think that gets borne out in the fact that it took Florida 11 innings of a game three to be able to put them away. Yeah, absolutely. That Auburn team was a ton of fun. They were really good. Um, You know, Stephen Williams and Edward Julian as freshmen were were outstanding in that lineup. Um, You had, you just had a lot of things coming together for Auburn that year. And of course, Casey Mize is is leading the rotation and, and he's, you know, he, he went one one. There's there's a there's a reason for all of that. Um, yeah. So it was it was a team that I saw a fair amount of. I saw the first series. Uh, you know, the, these two teams played in the regular season, also in Gainesville. Um, and I saw that series went down for Singer Mize uh, on a SEC Thursday night, and then um, you know, saw, saw game two and then headed up to Tallahassee, um, where Mike Martin was 
and Jim Morris were playing their final series against each other. And 11 was closing in on Augie Garrido's record. Uh, he would not break it that weekend, but it was, uh, it was getting very, very close. And I think when I made the trip, there was a, there was a chance that he could have done it by the time I got there, there was no chance that he could break the record that weekend, but it, uh, it was an incredible week in Florida. Um, I, I loved it. And, you know, I, you're seeing in this Florida team, a Florida team that potentially is better than they were when they won the national championship. Alex Faido is gone. Yes. Um, but everyone else is a year older. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a really, really good team. At least as good as as the national championship team, and of course they don't get it done in Omaha. Uh, but it was it was an incredible team to watch throughout the season. And Auburn, you know, like I said, I mean, just a, a great team uh, that that was really kind of emerging as they have throughout Butch Thompson's tenure at Auburn, just taking another step forward every year. The year before they'd gone to a regional final. This year. Uh, they are able to win that regional in uh, in Raleigh and then advance to to supers against the number one team in the country and, and take them to the absolute limit. I also, like side note, was very nearly at this game. I spent regionals in Gainesville and or in Florida. I was all over the place, but I spent a large part of it in Gainesville. And you know, one of the things that that happens when you're you're covering college baseball and trying to figure out your your tournament path, because super regionals can't be predicted, you just kind of have to wait and then make a call about where you're going to go. So I remember, like on the Monday that regionals are ending, being in Gainesville, like looking over the schedule and talking with JJ Cooper, our editor, and I was like, JJ, I think the best move might just be to stay here. That you know, it's going to be center mize again and like all these other things going for it. And the, the holdback to that though, was that I had spent that much of that weekend watching Florida, covering Florida. I'd spent the week before at the SEC tournament covering both of these teams. And then whatever team won, uh, you know, I was going to spend two more weeks with in Omaha. So it just felt like there was going to be too much, presumably Florida, but either Florida or Auburn on my, on my table, like my, my schedule there. So we made the decision that I would go to Austin to see Texas trying to get back to Omaha for the first time in, in a few years and the Cinderella story that, that was Tennessee tech. Um, so I, I very nearly stayed in Gainesville though. Um, at which point I probably could have just like rented an apartment given how much I'd been there that spring. But uh, it would have been a really cool game to see live. Uh, but I was, I was happy to, to settle for watching it on TV and then to be able to, to relive it here because I mean, this game just has everything. It, it has this dramatic ending. It has really good pitching throughout and no, it's not like the starters carried the the weight in a, a, a huge way like neither one of them is is out there doing anything like we saw what Chris Cody did uh from a few weeks ago when he uh when he dominated Nebraska for Manhattan uh but they everyone that comes in pitches well it has this insane double steel steel of home um and 
it has just so much pure talent. You're looking at Jonathan India and Will Holland and, and Stephen Williams and Edouard Julien. And, you know, thanks to Austin for mentioning that Will Dalton hit 20 home runs. I had forgotten that, um, you know, Deacon Lippett, uh, is, uh, there are just so many players here that, that it's, um, or not Deacon Lippett, but, uh, so many, so many players, uh, the story of Jonah Durand, the, the, the regional that he'd had to, you know, going into a pretty significant slump during the super, like there's just a lot going on. And I, I, I think it's just a really fun college baseball game. And I know that the ending, while, as, as much as I'm celebrating it right now, for a lot of people probably look at that, certainly Auburn fans and see a lot of hurt or, or a lot of disappointment. But even that, with the benefit of, of time and hindsight, we now know um, that Stephen Williams gets redemption for that because he hits a home run the following year in the Atlanta regional uh, that was a, a walk-off shot for Auburn in the winner's bracket game against Georgia Tech that if Auburn loses that game, if Stephen Williams doesn't hit that home run and Auburn loses, you know, the Tigers are, are probably losing that regional in Atlanta. And certainly – uh, their, their path would have gotten a lot harder and, you know, they, he hits the home run though. And, and Auburn eventually goes on uh, to the college world series. So even as, e- even in the moment, as bad as this was for Auburn and it was terrible with our benefit of being able to look back on what would happen, uh, it, it becomes a, a pretty cool story just all the way around. There's no little, you mentioned Will Dalton. There's no little detail that I liked in this game. And then that's in the seventh when um, Auburn gets a runner on, um, on a hit from, from Luke Jarvis. And then Will Dalton misplays the ball and right, and it gets the wall. So Jarvis ends up at, at second base. He ends up at, eventually ends up at third and then scores on a sack fly. But Will Dalton unloads like a seed of a throw to the plate. And it just would have been, I mean, it, ends up Auburn scores and ultimately that's what ends up giving us the extra innings and the walk-off. So it ends up all working out, but you know, it's really rare that you, you, you get to see a player have an opportunity to truly, we, we, we say things like, Oh, he atoned for his error by usually we mean that to say that like later in the game, that player gets a hit or, you know, something like that that scores a run and, and he makes up for it that way. And, and we all know, of course, it doesn't really work like that, you know, but in this case, it would have literally worked like that, where he erases the runner that he let move up an extra base. So, of course, it didn't quite work that way, but it was just like a, a fun little moment. I, I want to quick take a quick aside to mention there's an anecdote in this in this game, and I, I actually had not known this before. It was a player I knew, but I, I hadn't heard this. But uh, Brendan Venter, who plays for Auburn, um, they mentioned that he grew up in South Africa and that he plays cricket. And then they talk about – did you catch this, Teddy, before I keep going here? I, uh, I did not. I, I... Okay, good. So I, I will pose this to you because I think, I think, well, you know what, I'll just, I'll just go through it because I don't, I don't want to put you on the spot like that, and, and also it won't be a payoff. if Anyway, so you'll see what I mean. So they talk about he played cricket growing up, and, of course, that makes sense. It's another, you know, uh, stick and ball sport. And so they, uh, and they, t- they start musing, the announced team, and um, – the play-by-play guy I'm forgetting, but Eduardo Perez was the, the, uh, the analyst. And they start talking about what, uh, oh, Darinoka, that's who was calling it. And so they start 
kind of musing about, you know, who, who, what, which baseball players would be good cricket players. And so one of the first names that comes out of Eduardo Perez's mouth is Vladimir Guerrero. And I actually admit I had thought that too, like immediately. And so th- my question though is, is that like a lazy comparison just because we saw Vlad Guerrero hit a ball on a short hop one time and then just because we have that image in our head? I mean, I get that it's because like he can hit anything in the zip code. He swings at everything. He can hit everything hard. But like, it's not like in cricket, you're having to swing at pitches like over your head or anything. I think it's literally just because that one time people remember him hitting a ball on a short hop. So I'm not criticizing Eduardo Perez. That's where my mind went too. But I just wonder if we all go there because of literally that one instance. You know, I I don't think that it's quite that simple um, because I don't remember Vladdy doing that. I think that it's more about like he is the epitome of a bad ball hitter. And he has this, the reason why he can do that is he has this incredible bat control or had incredible bat control. I I don't know what like 50 year old Vlad Guerrero is doing. Um, And that's what it takes to hit in cricket from what I can understand is you just have to have this insane ability uh, to, to respond to, I mean, I guess not that insane. It's a flat bat, but you know, that that's the requirement. And so I think it's somewhat natural to go to the guy that you're going to think of as being the best, um, the guy with the best back control. And if that's Guerrero and it's certainly understandable why it would be him, or maybe you go to Adrian Beltre or maybe you go to Ichiro, uh, you know, why, why you would go to, to that player. And so for Eduardo Perez, it seems like that that's Guerrero and, you know, maybe, maybe he does remember that, that play that I don't remember. Uh, but I, I think some of it is just he's going to a guy that he knows has, has ridiculous back control. Ichiro, by the way, was the other player he named. So it's funny you mentioned that. That's, that's the reason why I didn't want to just have you guess because, like, I was like, well, if, you know, if he guesses him and then I go, like, are we just being lazy? That would seem like maybe I was, like, <laughs> criticizing your, your choice there before I explain myself. So um, moving on from that, though, one of the things I, I wanted to, to mention was I – um, I'd kind of forgotten just how nuts 2018 Super Regionals were in terms of having six of them go to game threes. And some of them, you know, you can go to game three and it, the series not be altogether compelling, you know, if you get three kind of blowout games or, or what have you. But I remember a lot of these being really, really good series. And the one that kind of always slips my mind, and I don't know if it's because the story just became that team making its first uh, College World Series appearance or if it was because maybe you know I don't really know to be honest with you but I always forget how good that Washington Fullerton Super Regional was I mean we had the the walk-off and, and forgive me that I can't remember his actual name but they Fullerton had the player whose nickname was Jumbo hit a uh, hit a hit a home run a clutch home run in that series and that's kind of my big memory from that which isn't shouldn't be the case because Washington ends up winning that Super Regional but I say all that to say that that was a really good super regional round. And, you know, this kind of, I guess, maybe put the, put the bow on the super regional round and kind of, kind of to me ends up being the most vivid memory I have of 2018 super regionals, but it was just a really good weekend. Yeah. I mean, if you, what is this in part two and like you included how many of those supers in, in part two of your YouTube posts, I mean, there, you at least have the Vandy Mississippi state game in there. So there are at least two of them. 
Right. And I think when you're looking at the insanity of this super regional round, the people are going to go to one of either of those two places or, which is unfortunate for Washington and Fullerton, like it just didn't quite have a crazy ending in part because Washington wins it on the road. So you're not seeing like the, you're missing the, I guess Mississippi state won it on the road too. So I, you know, I, part of it is just that, you know, the, the, the brands are bigger at, at Florida and Mississippi state and the story at Mississippi State is insane. And, you know, Lane where these walk-off is, is so, uh, you know, so different and, and, and unique because, you know, of, of the, the way that it happened and the fact that it's the reigning national champs doing it. So, I mean, yeah, it was, uh, it was a wild weekend. And, you know, it's, uh, that, that, was a, that was a lot of fun. You know, super regionals, you, you never quite know what you're going to get in terms of the you know, the, the atmospheres are always really good. You don't know if the, the hosts are going to be playing tight or not. And uh, that, that one was, uh, w- was definitely a really fun weekend. And this was literally the last game. Uh, Florida was the last team to, to reach Omaha. And um, so it, it definitely was a capper on, on uh, a, a fantastic weekend of college baseball around the, the eight, uh, eight hosts. And it's interesting that you, you mentioned that because your know, Dari Noka opens this broadcast kind of talking about how there hasn't been a whole lot of drama that day. Uh, Mississippi State and Vanderbilt was the night before, and I believe Washington and Fullerton was the night before as well. Uh, and, and he's kind of hoping that like that because today had been a little more drama free that, you know, this game will be the one that provides the drama and, you know, Dari Noka like might as well have been like, reading out of the next day's news considering what what he's talking about and then what would transpire yeah no kidding he got everything he could have wished for and and more there that's a good point you make about super regionals you know kind of the ebb and flow of that because there definitely are years and i i don't call out a specific year because a i you know it probably wouldn't be fair to how good some of the storylines were with you know now that we've had hindsight we probably just don't remember a lot of them and then b i honestly don't remember a year when that was the case but there are some years where super regionals just kind of come and go and you're like well, okay that was that was that was something you know <laughs> you have a lot of you know two and O series and a lot of non-competitive series and a lot of you know occasionally you'll have a cinderella who's you know midnight struck at the end of regionals and they're just really not competitive in that setting so you'll have that sometimes so there are years when it just kind of comes and goes and you don't really have any sort of, you know, uh, long lasting memory of it. I know the opposite 16 was another year when super regionals were bonkers. And of course the, I think the UCSB and Louisville super regional was, was probably chief among that group. But so there are years that where they're, where they're that, and there are years where they just don't really leave much an impression on you. And you, you just really never know which one you're going to get. Absolutely. I kind of felt like last year was a little lighter on drama. Um, but, you know, some of that may just have been that 18 was so crazy that anything was, was going to feel uh, a little lesser than, than what we had experienced just the, the year before. But yeah, this game, I mean, again, for me, it had it all. Um, that Florida team was just so much fun uh, to be around throughout the year uh, and, and just so, so talented. Uh, from top to bottom, uh, you know, it, it it had it had everything for me, and and the uh, you know Auburn uh, again did uh, did their very not, not did their very best, but did, did 
did everything possible to put push Florida all the way. And, you know, the defense they played that night, uh, the way they pitched, uh, a lot of that is uh, kind of evident then when you look back and, and, and look at the 2019 team that, that does ultimately uh, advance to the World Series. All right, so that's going to do it for this game. Joe, we've got another game lined up for next week already. So why don't you tell the folks what we're going to be watching uh, and, and then talking about next Friday on the podcast. Yeah, we're going to – we continue our streak of extra inning games. This will be our third straight extra inning game. And this one I have in jest said get comfortable when you watch it. This one, um, I really mean it. This is a, a game that's four and a half hours, and I assume that's what the commercials – most of these games we've watched have had the commercials shortened in some way or completely removed. And still this one is, is four and a half hours. So this is the 2013 Raleigh Super Regional between NC State and Rice. This is the Trey Turner, Carlos Rodon, NC State team. This was also, you know, one of the last, you know, really good Rice teams. That you, in 2013, you could, you could kind of see the way Rice was, was trending before you know, ultimately, you know, hitting a rut and, and you know, uh, Wayne Graham leaves and Matt Braga comes in and, and now they're kind of in the three building phase. This was 13 team was really one of the last years where they had some other runs in postseasons after this, but this was the one where you really thought there was an opportunity they could get back to Omaha again and, and they just weren't able to do it. But um, this one is, is kind of has a flurry of activity and then not very much. There's some scoring early on and then, of course, extra innings hits. And then it goes on and on and on and on. But I think there's, there's a lot to see here with, you know, this being the best NC State team um, that they've had under Elliott Avent, not just in terms of the result of getting to the College World Series, but when you talk about the individual talents that are on display here. Unfortunately, this is not a Rodon start, so we don't get any Carlos Rodon. We do, however, get, get Trey Turner in the game. So a fun game that I have actually literally never seen. I don't remember... I think I saw parts of it, but I don't remember exactly what I was doing at this point in time. Like, I don't remember what I was doing on this weekend in 2013, but now we're talking really even a couple of years before I even start seriously writing on college baseball at all. And so clearly I was watching as much college baseball as I ever did, but I wasn't, I didn't have an outlet. So, you know, there were times where life would just get in the way and I wouldn't be able to watch a ton of it. So I, I really don't know what I had going on, but I remember not seeing much of this game. And so this is one I am really excited to go back and watch. And I'm sure there are points where it'll really kind of go on and on and on, but um, you know, hopefully the, the ending gives us a, a good payoff here and it'll be a nice snapshot in time of a really good NC state team. Yeah. I um, I'm fairly certain I have not watched this game either. I really don't have a whole lot of memory of what I would have been doing instead of watching this game, but I do know, I mean, that 23rd, the, 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 you know, that, that, that Wolfpack team was uh, just an incredible group and definitely, you know, one, one of, if not the greatest team in, in NC State baseball history, uh, just from a pure talent perspective and what they were able to accomplish, um, you know, kind of, uh, you know, just the, the capstone of, of an incredible recruiting class that, that brought them, Rodon, Turner, and, and Brett Austin, among other players, uh, you know, to, to be able to reach Omaha in, in this year is, uh, you know, just a, a great one. And, and this game uh, going to be a pretty good one 
uh, as well. It, it certainly seems like uh, we're, we're, we're excited to dive into it. So if you're looking for that game, you can find it on YouTube or linked over at baseballamerica.com. We have plenty of other content for you over on the website. Uh, Joe wrote a story this week about Evan Porter, the head coach at Nebraska Omaha, which, um, you know, he, uh, he has probably one of the most interesting, actually, no, he has one of the most interesting baseball playing careers of any head coach in the country. Uh, you know, we have former big leaguers in it. We have Eric Wedge, a big league manager among the, the current head coaches. Uh, but Evan Porter did something that they did not do. He played uh, his baseball for the most part after one season of, of affiliated ball. He went, he went and he, uh, he did it overseas the rest of the way. And so uh, it's, a, it's an interesting story of how, how he came to do that and why he thinks that helped him um, in his, his career uh, uh, his coaching career and, and continues to help him uh, and why he advocates uh, for his players to, to consider that as a legitimate option if they want to continue their careers as well. So I would encourage you to check that out. We also are continuing the Coaching Confidential series. That's the series where I surveyed 90 head coaches around the country about a variety of topics and we're, uh, we're posting the results. And this week it was about facilities, which program has the best player development facilities. That is not ballparks, just player development facilities. Uh, Arkansas was voted number one by, by head coaches. So you can, uh, can read more about why they picked Arkansas and what other schools uh, were in the mix over at baseballamerica.com. We will be back here on the podcast twice next week. Again, that first episode will come out on Tuesday. It'll be more newsy. Uh, we'll, we'll focus on the, uh, all the, the happenings around college baseball, and then we'll be back here on Friday with another one of these uh, classic games to rewatch. In this case, it will be the 2013 Raleigh Super Regional like we uh, just outlined. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you're getting your podcasts. Please subscribe then you don't have to worry about when the episodes are coming out. They just come straight to your phone and you can, uh, you can enjoy them at your will. That's the, the beauty of the podcast, I suppose. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. Uh, feel free to, to let us know what you're, uh, what you're liking about the podcast series, uh, what games you would like us to, to consider next. Obviously that is somewhat limited due to uh, what we can find online, but uh, we're, we're happy to, uh, to hear from you guys uh, about what you're liking or, or not liking uh, about these, uh, these classic games that, that we're rewatching. So we'll be back here on Tuesday with another edition of the Baseball America College podcast. I want to thank you guys for listening. Thanks to Austin Laneworthy again for joining us. Thanks to Joe for joining me. As always, I've been Teddy Cahill. We'll talk to you next week.